0: Welcome to season two of Startup Happy Hour. Grab a drink and join us to hear how startup founders and visionaries are using their bright ideas and cutting edge technologies to make a positive impact in our communities and help shape our future. These conversations will inspire you and show you how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Before we begin, I just wanna tell you about the sponsor for this episode, Content Allies. Content Allies helps B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. They set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. All you have to do is show up and have engaging conversations, and they'll handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Startup Happy Hour. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Mike Chain. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Lumen5, which is one of the fastest growing companies in Canada right now. And they are democratizing video production by helping over 700,000 brands, including big brands like Salesforce, SAP and Forbes create high quality and ready to publish videos in minutes. And I'm super excited personally to talk to Mike because this is stuff that I work on day in and day out, repurposing content into different forms of content into shorter video clips, all of that stuff. So I'm really excited to learn more about Lumen5, how that works and potentially even be able to use it for myself. So welcome, Mike. So happy to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk a bit more about what I've seen, what I've learned and and everything along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I forgot to mention this in my intro, but you're actually a serial entrepreneur. You have founded so many different companies and so we'll dive into everything else, but let's just start with Lumen 5. I really want to learn more about it. So why don't you go ahead and just tell people in more detail what is Lumen 5 and like how you guys work?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the originating thought with Lumen5 is video in general. Video is so hard to produce, so difficult to edit, so hard to create. Most people look at video as a very intimidating subject. They don't even try to create it. Then you look at presentations and everyone goes, oh, I can make a presentation. I, I know I've used PowerPoint, I've used Google Slides. Presentations are so easy. Now, if you imagine a world without PowerPoints, Presentations suddenly become the most difficult thing. How do you make slides come in and out? How do you make things transition? And it's a it's exact same thing. And we took inspiration from that, and we said, if PowerPoint were able to do for presentations and made it simple and easy and accessible, so that everything from a high school student all the way through to a senior executive can make presentations, why can't we do that with video? And so that was really um, the idea behind it. And and in so many ways, that has continued to inspire the the design and development of the platform. If you try Lumen Five today, you, it feels like PowerPoint. You know, it's time is represented in slides, uh, animations, and, and, and all of those things moving in and out are all represented in similar user-friendly ways as you would see in PowerPoints. Um, and I really feel that the, the, the product philosophy there is that video editing tools historically has been designed for film professionals. They are designed for um, the production industry to be able to create great fantastic films like the Marvel films, where you need so much more than simple storytelling tools. And whereas what we're building for is the general audience. That's the average market person, the average creator freelancer who's looking to create video content. and They don't need all the dials and knobs that Adobe After Effects offers. Um, and it was such a great opportunity for us to offer such a uh, much more simpler version of video editing as we've known it. And it's more relevant than ever before. Just with everything we look being uh, video now, you go on Facebook, you go on Twitter, everything is video. And so it was a very timely creation for a problem that uh, many people around the world were facing.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I know this is going to be hard to do because we're all- We're just audio, not video. And so it's hard to do a product demo and walk us through how it works. But to the best of your ability, if you can just walk us through, say I go and sign up on Lumen 5 today and I want to like really up my video game for my company, generate some cool videos. What would that look like if you can talk us through it once I sign up on the
1: platform? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. And the greatest visual reference, I think is still PowerPoint. If you've used PowerPoint before, it's this drag and drop. You click on a text box, you type stuff in. A lot of companies, a lot of startups also think about, Oh, okay, video creation is just one part of the problem, but what about the content strategy? What do I create videos about? And that's often a frequent challenge too. So I think that goes into a good first step of, of what this visual journey is like. And, and my recommendation is always many companies or many people are comfortable writing blog posts. And really that's what it is. The blog posts that you write for your business are the stories that you tell for your brand. Uh, and those are exactly the same stories that you want to tell in video format. And that's exactly how we've designed Lumen5. One of the first things you'll find greeted by Lumen5 is the option to turn a blog post into a video. Uh, And that's a neat little machine learning feature that we've built that you enter a link to your blog post, and our system will go through that page, be able to pick out sentences, be able to plot them slide by slide, and be able to recommend media files. For example, let's say you put in a link to a blog post about making coffee, the system would recognize that you're talking about coffee, will help you find within our stock media library, stock videos and stock images of people pouring coffee, and then you've got your video, uh, or at least a starting point of the video where you can really customize it. And the customization process, again, and is very much like PowerPoint. Each scene is represented in a slide that you can scroll up and down vertically. You click on text boxes to edit. We have a media library with lots of photos and videos, uh, millions, hundreds of millions of them that you can just drag and drop into various scenes. And the easiest way to understand it is check it out. We, we are a freemium product, which means you can sign up for an account and create videos for free. Uh, so that's all, definitely the best way to get to know it.
0: Very cool. And the system was just have the transitions have all like the cool effects that you might want to have in your video and all of that and then say i want to have like short clips of me talking in between the stock imagery i could just upload those video files and then once all the files are there and i can search for the stock and whatever then i can just order them in whatever order i want put in, add in the transitions all of that and boom there's my video
1: exactly and you can drag and drop directly from your desktop into lumen5 itself if you have a video file a clip of yourself talking very similar to powerpoint or for those familiar very similar to canva as well a drag and drop user interface makes everything much easier
0: got it and so you mentioned like the machine learning tool that sort of translates your blog post into videos i'm wondering is there any component of that generates like an automatic script for your video. So say like I have a blog post, I'm a really good writer, but I'm not really comfortable talking in front of a camera. I don't really know, you know, how to translate my writing into something that's going to be engaging for a, a, a visual audience. Does Lumen5 have any features that will basically turn your blog post into a script by maybe turning the sentences into something a little more colloquial than the formal blog writing or any, any, anything like that?
1: Yeah, there's actually some of that. So uh, for example, we would truncate certain words. If if numbers are spelled out, sometimes we would truncate them into the numeric form. But overall, we don't dial that specific algorithm up that high because we also recognize that brands have their own tone and voice and messing with the tone and voice that's originally intended in the blog post can sometimes land you in an area that you don't want. So mostly what, the, what that part of the feature does is it picks out sentences that it feels are the main points. They're not fluff sentences, they're key messages, and it helps you structure them in a reasonable length, which is another challenge. Videos that people create, especially for social media distribution, tends to be between one to two minutes. And blog posts can be 4,000, 5,000 words. So one of the things that the system tries to do is to summarize the blog post for bite-sized content consumption. And the other aspect is oftentimes the text is written out in the video. And that's something that we've seen, for example, on Facebook, you've got autoplay oftentimes these videos are watched on mute. So the display at the text is actually a really part, a really important part. It's not always uh, spoken. But having said that, we do have AI voiceover as a beta feature as well. So that not only do we summarize the scripts for you, you could also, if you don't want to record your own voice, you don't have a good microphone setup, you could try the AI voiceover setup to see if you like it. Again, it depends on the brand. Not all brands are comfortable being represented by an AI voiceover. Some prefer just the text and music. Some prefer to record it themselves. Really, when it comes to creative platforms like Lumen5, it's about flexibility and it's up to the user to be able to customize these fine tuning.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And so I know you mentioned the blog as just one use case. Like one of the ways that you can use Lumen5 is by uploading a blog. So say I don't have any blog posts to upload. I don't have any content right now. Maybe all I have is a topic idea in my head. That's all I have. So then when I go on Lumen5, then what would be the next steps for me or how would I go through and use the platform?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And blog to video was really something that we built for new users who are just starting to get accustomed to to video. And what we find overwhelmingly is once users become familiar with video creation, they stop using the blog to video function. As easy as it is, it's a way to get your foot in the door and to try out what it's like to create videos. But once you understand how you want to tell video stories in bite-sized format, it's actually much easier to just write the scripts, the content natively in video format. And what that feels like for the user is, uh, again, going back to the PowerPoint analogy, let's say you wanna make a one minute video, you've got three main points that you wanna address. Well, you start to create these slides based on the main topics. You might have three title slides that are addressing the three main points. You might have three body slides following the title slides. And so uh, as you play around with these slides, very similarly to how you would create a presentation, except instead of small point form words, you're using much larger words with the intention of mobile viewing and and the font sizes you're using are gonna be quite a bit larger. And really it's a text box typing experience. And a lot of the videos that are being created today do have a large text component to it still. And one of the easiest ways to know whether or not you're on the right track is there's a preview button, you click it, you watch your own video as you're creating it to get a sense of whether or not this is actually the message that you want to get across.
0: Got it. And so that big text thing that you're referring to, is that almost like a teleprompter so that I can write out my script and then it'll teleprompt me on the screen and I can watch that and still look like I'm making eye contact while reading my script?
1: That's one way to use it. So the, the text kind of serves dual purpose. If you want to record your voice, it can serve as a teleprompter. But oftentimes people actually read the text, and that's how they consume the content. And some of the good examples that you might think back to is if you've seen a Forbes video, or maybe some of the newsreels videos from CNN. Uh, a lot of those have a footage in the background with text that's telling you what's going on, the story of what's going on. That kind of video has been really popular in in the news world, and becoming very popular in the business world as well. We're applying very very similar techniques to telling business stories, thought leadership content, industry expert contents. So for example, let's say you're a realtor and you want to say housing prices have dropped 90%. You might just use big fonts, nine zero percentage sign. And that expression in text form is meant for the audience to actually read. And, And you might in the background have photos of houses and whatnot to add to the flavor.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so who are most of the people using lumen five right now that you've seen? Is it mostly businesses? Or are, are these like individual content creators on YouTube and on Instagram and things like that? Who are you mostly seeing using your product right now?
1: What we've found is that within our customer base, overwhelmingly, there seems to be a B2B crowd. So businesses that are creating thought leadership, content marketing purposes, they're historically what they used to write in blog posts about industry insights and any kind of recommendations for their customers. They're now publishing these very same insights in video formats. And one fascinating thing that I've I've noticed in watching our customers create videos is many of them are non-visual businesses. And what I mean by non-visual businesses are take a, a lot firm or cybersecurity company, where under normal circumstances, it's very difficult to record law or cybersecurity, both very intangible subjects. And that's where we've come a long way to helping these companies publish their insights in an engaging way through icons, uh, infographics, animations, stock video, and, and the unique ability for those companies to be able to create content it has helped us differentiate ourselves where I don't see Lumen5 as a video editor. Now, video editing is a very common term, but video editing refers to you have a video that you want to edit. But for many of our customers, they don't have a video. They don't have a footage. They don't have anything that's captured or recorded. There's nothing to edit. So really they are creating something out of nothing. And that's why the presentation analogy feels much more close to home than a video editing tool for us.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. And what does this space look like? Cause I'm not super familiar. Are there a lot of other companies doing the same thing? Or are you guys like at the forefront of what you do? Help me understand the ecosystem a little better.
1: Absolutely. We we started the company about four and a half years ago now, maybe almost five. At the time, we were certainly uh, um, on the forefront, and we were one of the very few companies that were thinking about those problems at the time. But as we grew, and as we proved that there was demand, there's a lot of alternatives that has appeared over the years. Some of which, for anyone, if you want to check out and and compare the video creation solutions to see what's best for you, there is Animoto, which is a great one, Biteable, InVideo, WaveVideo, Wibbitz, WatchIn. So there's a number of different video creation options out there. And I think as a result of the the emergence of new video creation tools, each of these solutions have specialized into their own fields. So earlier you heard me describe how we've really thrived in helping people create thought leadership, content marketing, B2B, and in that world of intangible stories. And so the visual flavor, when you come into Lumen5, the templates and designs that you see tend to be a bit more professional. It's more brand oriented. What we take into consideration is when we work with enterprise companies, what kind of tone are they looking for? Whereas if you go to something like Biteable, for example, or Magisto, they're more prosumer or consumer oriented. They've got flashy templates that are really cute, uh, stickers that are meant to uh, grab attention. And so The design expression of these different video creation solutions do reflect the, the target audiences. And we, as more and more video creation solutions emerge, I, I feel that we will each continue to specialize and get better at the specific segment that we serve. And for us, it's a business audience and it's an enterprise audience.
0: When you look like long term into the space, maybe looking out 10 years, even how do you see the space evolving or where do you picture this space being in 10 years? Is it just so commonplace that everybody can make videos so easily with tools like this, whether you have any video editing or video production skills or not? And then are there any like interesting use cases for these videos that we haven't seen yet that you think might become a big thing in the future?
1: Yeah. In 10 years time, I absolutely think video creation will be as common as presentations. And, and nowadays, when you hire someone on the job or you meet someone, you just expect that they, they would be able to make a presentation. Kids learn it in school as, as early as high school and so forth. So I, I think that's going to happen for video. I think two major trends are happening right now. Uh, at Lumen 5, we're involved in the software innovation side. But on the hardware innovation side, you've, you see companies like Apple and Samsung making more powerful cameras than ever before. The iPhone microphone is better than ever before. So the capturing of content is going to be higher quality and it's going to be streamable. So affordable data plans makes it so that people can actually watch videos and with, with 4G, 5G, and who knows how many Gs we'll be at 10 years from now, that means streaming 4K, 8K video um, and, and very easily Produced by people um, who have learned these video creation skills as early as grade school So I fully see that uh, video creation is just an inherent part of how we're going to communicate moving forward And you already see a lot of that too One of the ways I look at it is the the evolution of social networks over time If you think back to the original version of Facebook or even Twitter very text focused It is the Facebook wall. Uh, It is comments. It is tweets then over time you start to see Pinterest, Instagram, very visual, but image photo based social networks, then Snapchat, TikTok, which are heavily video based. And I think it continues in that direction. Um, so for technology companies like us, it is interesting because our end goal is to almost commoditize the skill to a point where it's ubiquitous. But at, in 10 years time, we start to think about what's next and what, what is after video. And if the evolution goes from text to image to video, the, the next logical step is virtual reality, augmented reality. What does that look like in 10 years? No matter what it is, I think that's the role of software developers is when everyone has mastered video, but then the world has moved into VR, someone needs to build a technology to make um, VR content creation as easy as video creation would be at the time. And so the, the work of software never ends.
0: So cool. I was just thinking VR, like right before you said that, I, as you started talking and I was thinking when, who's going to make the first VR social media platform and who's going to be the first big like VR social media influencer? But yeah, so cool. Okay, I have a couple of other questions more on the operations side of the business. So one thing I know that you guys did is you bootstrapped uh, your entire company and you were still able to grow super fast. And so a couple of questions on that front. First is with regards to bootstrapping, is that a decision, is that something that like you knew from the beginning that you wanted to bootstrap or is it something that sort of just worked out? And I know you also have a lot of startup experience in the past with founding so many different startups. So maybe it's learnings from back then, but I'd love to hear more about like your thinking around bootstrapping your company.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure lots of people listening today are curious about fundraising as well. So happy to share a bit more about that. I've always been a strong believer that um, you have to separate why you want to raise money. So there are people out there who feel like fundraising is the only way to build a business. I fundamentally don't believe that's true. I think it depends on the type of business you're building. Take for example, if you're building a B2C business, let's say you're building Instagram or WhatsApp where your intention is not to generate any revenue and you wanna reach a certain critical mass of, of hundred million users or something like that, then yeah, under those circumstances, you probably want to fundraise. Given that uh, companies like Lumen5 are B2B, we sell software, we build something, we sell it, people pay to access it we have access to revenue. We're not waiting for some sort of critical mass before we monetize. So there is an income that is generated through B2B activities. And so I think the healthier way to view it is you raise money when you need capital, when you actually have a plan to deploy it, when you lack the funds to be able to pay for the operations or or the growth that you're looking for. And for us, we've always had the money that we needed through customer revenues. We build a product that people wanna use, they pay us to use it, we use that money to improve the product and acquire more customers. And that cycle has always been very healthy for us. That's not to say, and I also get the question am I anti-fundraising? And that's not true either. It's not that I've decided not to fundraise and will never fundraise. It's I I believe in fundraising when we need the money. And historically we've grown very quickly with the capital that we were able to generate through customer revenues. And we continue to do that. So I don't see a need for us to fundraise in the near term either. Now, having said that, there may come a point where we discover an opportunity, let's say in VR, and we want to get ahead of the game and we want to develop a compelling new solution, but there isn't a market for it yet. That's a great use case for me to go and seek fundraising. But that's something that I think everyone should keep in mind is really think about what you need the money for and have a clear plan for how you're going to spend that money. Because unless you have that, either number one, you shouldn't raise money or number two, you're not going to be able to raise money because your investors are going to be curious what your spending plan is anyways.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think there's so much hype right now around just, or not right now, and then many for the last many years around fundraising. And it's almost like the end goal isn't to build out a great product that can help people. But the end goal is just to get become a unicorn get X number of funding from VCs. And I agree with you. I think that is not the way to think at all. And I think you have to think on a case by case basis and think strategically for your own business. So the other question I had from an operation side for Lumen 5 is, You guys were one of the fastest growing companies in Canada in in, uh, 2020. And then in 2019, you were rated the top startup in British Columbia. So all of these awesome things like how have you been able to grow so quickly? And then also what have been some of the biggest learnings from growing so fast? Because, of course, like growing is great, but with growing also comes growing pains. And so I'm sure there there were pros and cons to, to that fast growth.
1: Yeah, I have two separate answers to that question. First, um, I think the timing of an idea is really critical. So for any uh, kind of aspiring founders, what I always challenge is why now, whatever the business idea is, is now the best time. And I attribute a lot of our growth, especially early years growth to that timing is being able to be one of the only solutions in the market, solving a problem that the world was really thinking about at that time and still continues to really benefited us. And what that meant was that we didn't have to do a lot of work to go find customers. Our customers were looking for video Creation solutions, especially four and a half years ago, many businesses were trying to figure out how do you get into video? How do you figure out video? How do you develop a video strategy? And we just got a ton of attention. And when you search for how do I create a video, Lumen 5 was often the thing that came up. We had a very uh, easy time landing spots on podcasts and shows. We were invited to speak at lots of different places and events, not just within the world of business, startups, and marketing, but also. The travel industry flew me out to their travel conferences to educate kind of travel agencies around the US to, to, to think about video and how they can think about video. So there's a lot of demand and I think that's the power of urgency and timing. And, by, and that part is by design, I would say. I, I generally like to work on businesses that have a sense of urgency, that the timing is right, that there is a window to be a first mover into solving some sort of problem, I think is very critical. In that sense, I think a lot of the growth came from just high demand, well-timed, and a good solution uh, for a very timely problem. Now, in terms of growing pains, absolutely, I think every company goes through growing pains. But in many ways, though, I think by not fundraising, you actually alleviate yourself a lot of those growing pains. A lot of the growing pains come in when you suddenly raise $30 million and then you have to go hire 100 people. And the growing pains are how do you maintain culture? How do you build systems? How do you scale your organization when suddenly there's more people that are new to the company than people who were there before? And we've largely been able to circumvent most of those typical growing pains by just hiring slowly. And despite being one of the fastest growing companies in the country, I wouldn't say that we're the fastest hiring company and you know highest headcount growth over the four and a half year period we grew from the three original co-founders, myself and my two partners to now 40 people, which you look at some of the crunch, tech crunch announcements and people Building headquarters and hiring 300 people; those are growing pains. Uh, A team of 40 people is very manageable, and we did that over a four-year period. So I attribute a lot of the alleviation of growing pains to just being slow and steady with the team, but still being very aggressive with the product and customer acquisition.
0: That's awesome. So I want to dig into your background a little bit because you have a really interesting background. You founded 12 startups before you were 25 years old, which I, I think few people can really say that. And so I'd love to hear more about. Why don't you just like start from the beginning, when was it that you knew you were going to be an entrepreneur. You were going to be a founder. When did you get that bug? Were you born with it? Is it in your DNA, or did it develop somehow? Just take us back to the start and then sort of walk us through your journey.
1: Yeah, it's quite a funny story. And at that time, 12, 15 years ago, I don't think I was familiar. I think the term startups wasn't what it is today. I really view it as just I was hustling and making money, and they were small businesses. I don't consider them as startups as I understand them now. But I remember one of my one of my earliest motivators, which is I was. Most too young to get a job but there's a certain legal age that you need to be to get a job but I wanted to work I was fascinated by the world of business and I, I wanted to do something I was just a bored teenager and one of the very very first businesses that I, I I tried to work with was I remember my parents selling a car one of the one of our old cars to the leadership dealership uh, and, the, and the dealership offered them like a couple hundred dollars for the car and I was like that's so that's such a low price. They're getting low I know if they went on Craigslist, they could probably sell it for much more, but it was just such a hassle and it was an inconvenience. They, they weren't good at English. They don't want to meet up with strangers on Craigslist. And so I, I created this kind of a brokerage company that would connect buyers and sellers of vehicles so they don't get lowballed by dealerships. And it's a marketplace, if you will, at that time. Now, that business didn't go very far because very quickly, I realized that there's a lot of rules and regulations in place for who can and who can't (laughs) broker vehicle transfers. But that was one of my first experiences with building a business.
0: Wow. Okay. So we started with dealing out our parents' car. And then where do we go from there? Like maybe, obviously, you don't have to walk us through all 10 plus of your startups or hustles or whatever you want to call it, but maybe highlight like a few really successful ones or even a few failures, like a few just that you learned the most from.
1: I think I think one of the more pivotal experiences for me was a web design agency called Woody Cookie. And and I, I know it's very common, I'm sure among listeners today, there are also people who are doing some sort of service-based business and, and wondering or, or looking at product-based business. And that's where I was at that time. And as I was growing the web design agency and the business, I just felt really constrained because with every project that comes on, I need labor hours to be able to fulfill the request. And it was difficult to scale. And it's not like we could suddenly Take on. Earlier, you mentioned that we have 700,000 customers uh, on our product. I just fundamentally could not have imagined doing that as a web agency to be able to serve 700,000 customers would require a team of, I don't know, 700,000 web designers, maybe. And that was a, a, a really fascinating experience for me because that business itself went really well and we were growing, we we're serving all these customers. But I just felt like a service-based business wasn't for me. I like automation. I like self-service. I like technology. Uh, I like to be able to build a hands-off product experience that people can come in, self-serve and derive value. And that's what and 5 is in many ways. People can sign up, create video, get the full experience without really interacting with anyone. So I, that's a very fond memory of mine to have built that business, to have come upon the insight. And that was one of the last service-based businesses that I was involved in before I made the dive into really committing to product and startups as is defined today tends to be technology products.
0: I think that's like super interesting because I actually don't think that a lot of people even go through that thought process of do I want to start a service-based company or a product-based company, they think either one could work and they they don't really think about all the differences. Are there any other key differences between the two that you would highlight or just like any other advice that you would have for uh, first-time founders or people that, you know, are thinking about maybe starting something about just like key things that people should think about? For instance, do you want to start a service-based business or a product-based business and
1: why? To expand a little bit on the web design story, I think it comes down to if you are going to start a service-based business, do you think there will be a product-based version of it that will just crush the service version of it? And at that time, to expand on the story, I was working really hard building this web design agency while little players like Wix and Squarespace were building the product version of, hey, anyone can DIY build your own website, drag and drop interface. And in many ways, I looked at a solution like that and I said, "Why why are people paying us thousands of dollars to create a website? It is so easy to use Wix and it's so easy to use Squarespace. So I no longer felt like you know, we were actually contributing value to that ecosystem. And now that's obviously not true for everyone. There's lots of web design agencies that add a lot of value through their creative directors and the creative process. But for me, in serving small businesses and charging the price points that we had to charge, I really just felt like that many of my customers at that time were better off using great Wix templates and great Squarespace templates. And likewise, I could have gone out there and built a service-based video production company but how I like to think about it is, well, is that what's best for the consumer? If at the end of the day, what's best for the consumer is giving a man a fish versus teaching them how to fish. And a product-based approach is teaching them how to create videos so they don't need to rely on contractors and agencies ever again. So that's how I would think about it. Now, having said that, there there are a, there are service models that are irreplaceable by products. If the service that you offer is fundamentally human, maybe it's highly creative and it just simply cannot be replicated with technology, there might be a good case to be made to, to build a service service based industry but that's what I would think about is can your service be replaced by a product and if yes then consider building the product because uh, that that's a very compelling business in my opinion
0: that's a really good point that's a really good point so for your, all of your past businesses how did you end up wrapping things up did you sell them did you just close them down um, I'm sure it's probably different for everyone too, but what are some of your thoughts on slowly phasing out a business when it's come to the end of its life cycle?
1: Yeah, I think many of them obviously meets catastrophic ends, lack of revenues, realizing that it's a flawed business model. So I think it's it can be an overstatement to say I've started 12 plus businesses. It, it almost sounds like they were all successful, which is not true. But I am still proud to to share those stories because I think an, an entrepreneur, any entrepreneur should be very comfortable with failure. Failure is as important part of the journey as it is successes. Giving a couple examples, TEDxSFU, which isn't necessarily a startup, but it's an organization. It's an annual conference that I ran at the time, has a succession plan. And so now it's the I, I think 10th year of operation, every year the succession playbook is put into place. There's a new compi- committee that organizes it. So TEDx, SFU still continues to operate. And that was through a succession model. Nobody at SFU knows who I am or cares. If I tried to attend, they're not going to let me in unless I line up and buy a ticket. And so that's like the succession model. Witty Cookie is a slightly different case. It's still web design agency still exists today. Mostly I lost interest in my business partner didn't. And so I mostly handed off the business to for him to continue to run and And he's done a great job growing that business over time. So that's one way of not winding down the business, but winding down my involvement. Prior to Lumen5, my co-founders and I built a company called Snipply, which is also a MarTech company. That company was sold and acquired by, by a company that was really fascinated by that particular space. And it freed us up the bandwidth to be able to work on Lumen5. So I've seen and experienced all kinds, succession plans, passing off to a business partner, complete catastrophic failures, and then also exits and acquisitions as well.
0: Wow, wow. Okay, to wrap us up, why don't you give your like final thoughts, best advice for maybe, let's say like a college kid or a recent grad who is like fascinated by entrepreneurship, has lots of great ideas and wants to be the founder of a company one day?
1: Yeah, I think one of the common traps that a lot of early aspiring entrepreneurs run into is they're too secretive with their ideas. And one thing to keep in mind there is ideas are cheap. Execution is is what it's all about. And the more comfortable and open you are to talking about your ideas, the more likely people will hear about that you're a person with an idea. And the willingness to share and spread your ideas gravitate people towards you. And that's how you find business partners. That's how you build teams. And that's how you find people who want to work with you. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people who have a great business idea but they don't want to tell anyone about it. They don't want to talk about it. They try to work on it in secret. They try to do everything on their own. And inevitably, uh, in, in business is, is not something that you can do alone. You need to be able to share the ideas and be unafraid of people copying you and and welcoming collaboration, drawing people into your story and and that journey. So that's what I would recommend. I'm sure many listeners here today have ideas. Uh, I'm sure like me, you probably have a notepad of lots of different business ideas that you would like to start one day. And my encouragement is to share them with your friends, talk about it, go online, uh, ask people if they want to connect and talk about this idea, validate the idea with potential customers. And that was really the change in my career. And I was very much of the type to be, to hold my ideas very close to heart and I didn't talk to many people about it. But after learning those lessons along the way, I I ended up being much more open about all of my ideas. And that's when I started to grow my network and grow my um, network of business partners and potential hires and and potential customers. So whatever idea you have, be open about it.
0: I love that. I'm a huge proponent of anything open source, building for the public good, all of that. So I, I love that. I love that advice. All right. One thing that we love to talk about on the podcast is you're Mike, the founder, but you're more than just Mike, the founder. You're also Mike, the human being. So tell us a little bit more about who you are outside of work, any hobbies that you have, any interesting fun facts about yourself, if you do have a life outside of work. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the life outside of work has obviously changed for a lot of us uh, during this COVID year. So maybe I'll talk a bit about prior to COVID. Uh, I like trying new things, as you probably see in my career. Um, I like trying new things, new businesses, and that's the same for hobbies as well. And I remember just before the pandemic, I really got into all sorts of boarding sports. So snowboarding was something I really got into. I bought a snowboard. And then when I'm not on the mountain, I bought a number of different longboards to be able to go down short hills and so forth. So I I was really going through this boarding phase just before covid and and those are the kinds of things that i like to do is what are new skills new hobbies that i can develop i have a passion for dissecting things and i love to study oh what how is the weight shifting and snowboarding different from longboarding and i love learning those kinds of mechanical skills so those are the two things that that i really got into just before covid and then when that happened i mostly stayed indoors
0: yeah, that, that's a smart thing to do. That's a safe way to be. OK, cool. I've got two quick, fun questions for you to wrap up this episode. The first one is if you could have any job in the world, like not taking any practical considerations into fact into into factor in this so not considering like your actual skills in real life or pay or anything like that what would be your ideal job
1: for whatever reason i've always had a fascination with space i actually spend a a, i've lost count how many hours i spend watching space documentaries Uh, i would love to do something in that world i i look at companies like spacex and blue origin with great fascination because i i just think there's things that are limitless are, are very fascinating for me. Earlier, you heard me talk about how the service space industry felt very limiting, Well, space is the opposite of constraints. And um, I love that idea of limitless expansion and freedom. Uh, I would love to be a colonist on Mars. Uh, hopefully that comes with a two-way ticket. I don't like the idea of a one-way ticket to Mars, but I would love to do something in, in that world
0: very cool that actually isn't that unrealistic and that could be something that that might actually happen one day and in the meantime you can just put on some vr goggles hop on the metaverse yeah, and go right. hang out at mars house or something all right and then my second question for you is if you could have any superpower what superpower would you want to have
1: oh, that's a really good one too one thing and maybe this is just the, the pandemic but i've really missed travel and i'm sure i'm not alone in that i would love for the ability to teleport uh i i can't tell you how many times i feel like I I just want to be there, watch the sunset at a certain given place and time. And sometimes I I follow a lot of travel destinations on Reddit and I see just see photos of fantastical vantage points, waterfalls, and I just want to be there. And instead of trying to find it or, or fly for 17 hours to find it, I think teleportation would really give me those experiences in an instant.
0: I completely agree with you. I was a full-time traveler for a little bit a few years ago and I love traveling, but the worst part about traveling is like the actual traveling part, like getting from point A to point B. Once I'm there, I'm really happy. I I love like trying new things, exploring new things, but it was just that travel part. So yeah, if teleportation would be an awesome superpower to have, I totally (laughs)
1: agree. (laughs) Yeah, I would love that.
0: All right. So before you go, Mike, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally, have any follow up questions for you and then also where they can go to check out Lumen 5, how they can sign up and then what are some like cool initial things they can do once they sign up.
1: Yeah, on the Lumen5 fronts, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of freemium models, so I love to offer products away for free, I and mean, I only like to charge when the user finds value in it. And so you can create videos and do lots of stuff for absolutely zero dollars on Lumen5 at Lumen5.com. L-U-M-E-N and the number5.com is the best place to sign up, create a video. I, I always recommend uh, one of the one of the easiest things to try is if you have a landing page or a homepage, turn that into a video and see what it looks like to pitch your business in a video format. If you don't have a, a, a website or you haven't started your business yet, one of the cool exercises to try is just go look up a news story. Maybe you saw something on Forbes or even saw something on Reddit. Try and turn that story into a video just to get your hands on what it's like making a video. So that's what I recommend there. For anyone who wants to get in touch. I'm Michael Chang on every social network. Usually it's slash Michael HSC, but I think it's probably easier to find me if you just search Michael Chang Lumen5. You'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever, and happy to connect in any place that you want.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us your time and sharing all of your learnings with us. Thank you listeners for tuning in and we'll be back again soon with another episode of Startup Happy Hour. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Startup Happy Hour. If something we said today resonated with you, please share this episode on social media and continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on our social media channels linked in the show notes. See you next week.